So there's this book called The Topeka School by a guy named Ben Lerner, who's a MacArthur genius and just a regular genius, I guess. The Topeka School was named a finalist this week for the Pulitzer Prize in fiction. It's technically fiction, but really it's just about Ben Lerner's life and the unique anguish of growing up smart and sophisticated in Kansas in the 90s and being on the debate team. And when you're from Kansas, everyone wants to let you know that they've read this book and they love this book about how terrible Kansas is. They're excited to tell you that they know about this Kansas thing. And it reminds me of in the 2000s when everyone wanted me to meet their one other gay friend. It's a wonderful feeling. But one of the key plot points is that Ben Lerner, who is straight, was forced to grow up in Topeka and occasionally encounter protesters from the Westboro Baptist Church, the God Hates Fags people. And because he was on the debate team instead of a macho athlete, it sounds like this was really hard for him, you guys. And it reminds me of this incident when I was 16. This was, uh, this is like the mid nineties. And my family was driving through Topeka and we're at a stoplight and we see one of these sloppy, confident Westboro Baptist people with a God hates fags sign. And my mother, who's a devout lifelong Christian and a retired public middle school English teacher in a town of 1,200 people in Western Kansas. And she's not really confrontational in a big city Topeka kind of way. My mom is so angered to see a sign that says, God hates fags and quotes scripture underneath it that my pacifist Christian mom rolls down the window and she leans out of the car. And before she can help herself, she leans out and flails her arms at the guy with the sign and she screams, uncontrollably at the top of her lungs. Love one another, you butthole. I wish I could scream it right now full out so you could get the total impact, but I do have neighbors who are home because of the quarantine. Anyway, she screams, love one another, you butthole, and she's immediately horrified at herself, but then the light suddenly turns green, my pop hits the gas, we get the hell out of Dodge. Another metaphorical Kansas town. I guess the point of the story is, where's my MacArthur Genius Grant? I kid. The point of the story, of course, is they will know we are Christians by our love. You butthole. Happy Mother's Day, y'all, and enjoy this opening Green Mill performance from our musical guest this week. Here's Foil. Yeah. 
Lay down on the low down, having breakdowns on the cold floor. No sound or a slow sound or a creak loud like an old door. One down, another one down, then two more, I drop four clowns. Pain phase many different ways, no empathy is how a horse sound when they talk. There's force now when I walk. It's a nice crowd and a nice venue, nigga, pour me Ciroc. I'm going up cause I'm focused now when I'm high as fuck on the escalator. Talk shit but don't walk shit and don't want hands, you an instigator. Why they do me like jokes? Why these people keep fucking with me? It's chest out when I spoke. Don't poke the bay, you won't see you later. That shot just might grease a hater. Might smoke a neighbor, out choke a gator. Slice your head off, fuck invader. Name's Evander. Fuck your sneak, this fuck the banter. I might flex on Black Panther. I know you lying, but what's your answer? Cut through lies with a seam star. Roam through the dock with a green lantern. Duck with Danny, that's a mean phantom. You want revenge, you throw tantrums. Out my feelings, need more anthems today. Off on a tangent, thought slow or straight. Fam, call me band in my younger days. I feel like beside sun rays. I have a wife of mine one day. Or I'll just die alone. Me, my beats, and a microphone. Smoke that fuck who don't condone. Doubt line hate, but hope is strong. There be cancer, not alone. Clean up nice like feeling hampers. That boy been nice since chilling pampers to middle school. Y'all still was campus. Feeling cool, your place implanted. First we hit, that's where the trance is. Can't find home, you not in Kansas. Live for the moment, strongly standing. Nice with the flow, you couldn't stand it. I'ma see you on I'ma see you on the flip side. So maybe if you stab me, see me bleed a little, that'll make you happy. I'm the offspring of my pappy, I still made my own path. I've been working to the bone, I'ma make it home fast. Taking reefer to the dome, burning gas over gas. If I learn, I'ma last, I never felt like I'm last. Like it's easier to speak instead of forcing a laugh. Hit a block and suddenly it feel like forcing my craft. Uh. A raft, of course, can make you float. It lasts, but smaller than a boat. I last and like I am the goat. My talent really thought provoking. Now it's very often smoking lungs adapt. I'm past the choking. Put them in the coffin. Open casket when the draft is flowing fast. Listen, if you hate me, not to meet me after class. Smoke to calm my nerves when I'm entrusted with a task. She got personality and then she got some. Wait, she got some ass. I'ma see you on the. I'ma see you on the flip side. That was Foil. And this is the Paper Machete Audio Magazine, May 9th, 2020. Mother's Day weekend. This is a Mother's Day weekend magazine. A hopefully relevant machete with almost no references to the coronavirus. Just just like a couple. Anyway, as I stated at the top of the show, Ben Lerner's The Topeka School was shortlisted for the Pulitzer Prize in fiction this week. It did not win. It's set in the capital of Kansas, Topeka, and the main character's parents are prominent shrinks at a famous, very exclusive private mental health clinic. This is a lightly fictionalized version of the Menninger Clinic, which was located in Topeka for nearly a century, now based in Houston. One of the reasons Menninger's is famous is because it's often been a notorious under-the-radar refuge for movie stars. 
Now, the celebrity patient list is usually kept pretty airtight, but in 1959, the Topeka Daily Capital broke the news that the legendary actress Jean Tierney was working as a saleswoman in a Topeka dress shop called Talmage's. So most audiences today probably haven't heard of Jean Tierney, but in the 1940s and 50s, she was a glorious screen siren, prominent leading lady, Oscar-nominated best actress for the film noir Leave Her to Heaven. Anyway, Jean Tierney battled mental illness her entire life. In the days when electroshock treatment was commonplace, her job at this dress shop, which she reportedly loved, was supposed to be a totally anonymous gig in a completely clandestine location, allowing her time and space to readjust to daily life after another bout with manic depression and the disorder that we've come to know as celebrity. Managers wouldn't allow her to talk to the Topeka Daily Capital, but it still made national headlines. It would be like if today TMZ broke the news that a Jamba Juice in a mall in Indianapolis was being assistant managed by Anne Hathaway. One of the great tragedies of Jean Tierney's life that deepened her mental illness issues was that her first daughter was born deaf and severely mentally disabled due to exposure to rubella, what was then called German measles. How this had been contracted was never clear until one day when Jean Tierney met a starstruck fan at a tennis match who told her that they had met once before during the Second World War at the Hollywood Canteen where movie stars famously entertained and mingled with military troops. This female fan told her that Tierney had always been her favorite and so she went to the Hollywood canteen specifically to meet her, even though she was currently under quarantine for rubella. She broke quarantine to meet her favorite movie star. Yeah, yes, this is a morbid Hollywood parable about why you shouldn't break quarantine, even though the country is trying to reopen. You could seriously ruin your favorite pregnant starlet's entire life and send her to a mental ward that becomes the backdrop of a shitty, pretentious novel. Or just, like, think of the regular moms, you know? And speaking of, let's kick off the rest of this Mother's Day episode, the rest of which I swear is mostly comedy, with a classic machete Mother's Day tune performed by our own resident house musician. It's that populist, pugilist, pianist. Here's the great Bill Larkin. Here's an oldie but a goodie, a song I wrote for my mom. Here we go. There have been women through the ages who have really left their mark. Cleopatra, Amelia Earhart, and of course, there's Joan of Arc. But my mother tops them all, and here's the reason why. Whenever I do one thing wrong, I can hear her cry. You throw me in the winter. 
your snow and leave me there to freeze, or I'll just die of fear or stress or catch a rare disease or stick my head inside an oven set at 1,200 degrees. Don't worry, please, I'm just your mom. You never, ever wash the dishes, clean your room, or mow the grass. Every Sunday, you're satanic when I drag you off to mass. And boy, it was heaven. Every day, I wiped your ass. Oh, forgive me if I'm crass. I'm just your mom. She wants me to be happy and to let me have my freedom. And then we'll bake some cookies and she tells me I can't eat them. She buys me all these shirts with the 90-inch lapels. And when I say, I will not wear that, this is what she exactly what I tell you to. If not, I'll get a gun and I will shoot you if I have to. I don't care if you're my son. And don't think I can't take you just because I'm five foot one. I could have been a goddamn nun, but I'm your mom. And if you ever disobey, I'll grab a tree branch from above and I'll stick it in your eye and I'll give it such a shove and then I'll throw away the evidence and hide the body glove. But I do it out of love because I'm your mom. She's always at the hair salon where they know her by name. And later when she comes back home, her hair is just the same! <laughs> she tells me dad is great in bed. In fact, he's such a stallion. She always shares too much. She can't help it. She's Italian! I don't know what the fuck she's saying. She's my mom. I do the cooking and the cleaning and the shopping and the banking after all I've done for you. It's me you should be thanking. Instead, you've taken magazines to bed and started wanking. I should give you such a spanking. I'm your mom. Why don't you just set me on fire and then shove me off a pier? Every time I tell you something, it goes out the other ear. I can't believe I carried you inside my body for a year. Just forget I'm even here. I'm just your mom. That was Bill Larkin. Check out his wonderful album, Knowing Your Audience, on Spotify. He recorded it live at the Green Mill, and it's a pip. So this week, America's first mother, that is the third wife of our 45th president and devoted mom to one of his five beloved children, First Lady Melania Trump, celebrated the two-year anniversary of her anti-bullying Be Best campaign. If you're a Machete regular, you know that Melania Trump is a regular at our show, in our show. We actually hosted her last year when she was on a Be Best tour. So this seemed like a perfect time to share her speech from that day. Here's First Lady Melania Trump. I'm very happy. 
happy to be here with you today. Be best. Don't do your best. Don't be your best. Be best. This is what I say to my young son, Baron, when I encourage him to say good morning to his dad. <laughs> Be best! Because sometimes it's hard for kids to say hello to strangers. <laughs> Next week, I will travel to Oklahoma, the state of Washington, and Nevada to spread this same powerful message. As First Lady, combating all forms of cyberbullying is so important because... <laughs> because people bully me. This week, Michael Cohen testified before Congress and couldn't help himself but to throw a punch at me in his opening statement when he say, President Trump asked me to pay off an adult film star with whom he had an affair and to lie to his wife about it, which I did. Lying to the First Lady is one of my biggest regrets. She is a kind, good person. A kind, good person? A kind, good person? First you lie to me and then you call me ugly! <laughs> she is a good person. It's a low blow, Michael Cohen, a low blow! I trusted you, Michael Cohen. I believe you when you tell me my husband would never touch Stormy. Stormy Daniels, come on, look at her and look at you. You didn't say, come on, she's so mean and you know, you're so kind. <laughs> it's hard to be targeted this way. 
This is why I have so much compassion for the cyberbully junkies of the world. I have been called so many names. Gold digger, prostitute. But this from strangers. Michael Cohen was my friend. For many years, he'd do me many favors. When I was on my period, he would go to the deli and get me egg and cheese on roll. <laughs> yes, I too have cravings. I'm a human, a beautiful human. And when I bleed, I bleed a clear blue liquid just like you do. I am not a kind person, I am a beautiful person. <laughs> this song doesn't go. You are so kind and good to me. It's beautiful. You are so beautiful to me. I am so beautiful. To you <laughs> be best, be best, be best. Be best! Thank you. Melania Trump is created and played for the paper machete by the one and only Aaron Diamond. So, the mother of all Netflix sports documentaries. You see what I did there? Seamless. The mother of all Netflix sports documentaries is The Last Dance, which chronicles Michael Jordan's late 90s years playing for the Chicago Bulls. Here with some thoughts on it is Shantira Jackson. This year, ESPN blessed Quarantine America with a 10-part docuseries about Michael Jordan's road to winning his sixth and final NBA championship with the Chicago Bulls. It's called The Last Dance. And it is a true work of art. With video footage spanning decades, we get a real inside look into one of the greatest teams in NBA history, led by the greatest basketball player of all time. Now, before the spring of 2020, The Last Dance was most famously known as a gay anthem by the late, great Donna Summer. The lyrics go as follows. I need you by me, beside me to guide me, to hold me, to scold me, because when I'm bad, I'm so, so bad. So let's dance The Last Dance. Mm. Is it a coincidence that the title of this song and this documentary are the same? <laughs> the answer is no. This is no coincidence because after watching hours of documentary footage and even more hours of Donna Summer YouTube clips, I have come to the conclusion that 90s basketball is just as gay as a Donna Summer anthem. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why are you qualified to call 90s basketball gay? Well, in 1993, I was six years old and I made the decision that I wanted to be the first girl in the NBA. 
Now, this was my third career change in a year. At first, I wanted to be a contestant on Nickelodeon's Global Guts, gay. On June 9th, 1993, Jurassic Park came out, and I wanted to be a paleontologist, or at least own a pair of Laura Dern's khaki shorts, gay. And then, just 11 days after that movie premiered, on June 20th, the Chicago Bulls won their third NBA championship in a row. Three-peat, baby. And I had a new career in mind. I was going to be Michael Jordan. That's pretty gay. Plus, I have a girlfriend right now, so... That's also gay, but not as gay as the NBA in the 90s. Now, I'm sure you think this is going to be about the underlying sexual tension in male sports, and you'd be wrong. Sexual tension isn't what makes 90s basketball gay. It's literally everything else. First of all, every NBA player from 1990 to 2000 dressed like a lesbian. Matching short sets, berets, medium-sized hoop earrings, jean legs so wide you could put another person in them, Dennis Rodman's septum ring, and more berets. When I was growing up, I thought I wanted to be the first girl in the NBA, but maybe I just wanted to dress like a lesbian. Because now I do dress like a lesbian and I look exactly like a young Michael Jordan. Next up, we have all the petty rivalry. To respect one's talent, but also hate their fucking guts, is petty rivalry. And petty rivalry is gay. And no one is pettier than professional basketball players. Every talking head clip shown in the documentary is of Michael Jordan being told to watch clips of what other people said about him and then react. This is the same formula as RuPaul's Drag Race. Side eye, beautiful men draped in too much fabric, talking about how talent doesn't make up for you being an asshole. Isaiah Thomas, for all my gays out there, that is a very famous basketball player. Uh, he said that he didn't make the 1992 Olympic Dream Team because Michael Jordan didn't like him. Michael Jordan saw a clip of that and said that Isaiah Thomas was in fact good enough to be in the Olympics, but that he hated his fucking guts. The effortless blend of hatred and respect is the gayest thing I've seen in ages. Tens across the board. Now, I love 90s basketball, the drama, the flair, the shorts so small that one ball could pop out at any moment. But what I love most about watching this documentary is seeing how all the greatest basketball players of all time used to be scrawny kids with big dreams. No one believes Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan's right-hand man, when he said that he was going to leave his small town in Arkansas and be somebody one day. But he doesn't. And so does Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman. And Dennis Rodman did it in a wedding dress after dating Madonna. So many queer kids dream of making it big in the big city. New York, Chicago, LA. But so does every kid who wants to be in the NBA. The Knicks, the Bulls, the Lakers, sometimes the Clippers. We're all so much more alike than we like to imagine. So to all my queers out there, just remember, the next time someone brings up sports and you think you have nothing to say, just remember, they all left home to become the greatest version of themselves. To play basketball, yes. But in the end, they also design shoes and really respect their mothers. Basketball is so fucking gay.
Shantira Jackson is the pride of Florida, a comedic veteran of Chicago, and now lives in Los Angeles, where she is a member of the troupe Three Peat. Okay, so the numbers game. The numbers coming out of the CDC keep changing, and the numbers coming out of the president's mouth keep changing, and like, you know, maybe numbers just aren't America's thing? This next stand-up set is by a delightful California comic who occasionally visits the machete, and he gets to the root of our math problem, our square root, as it were. Here's the hilarious Sammy Obeyed. so much uh, I'm from California I, I went to UC Berkeley I majored in math that's why I'm doing comedy right now and uh, my uh, my degree was actually uh, applied mathematics concentration in probability theory which is like what are the chances uh, <laughs> 100% it's already happened but uh, that's how it works um, America's not very good at math, so it's hard to t use my degrees in action. You know, America's ranked 33rd in math. Like, Japan actually counted that for us to make sure it was accurate. Um, America, globally, we're, we're below the mean in the world, but we're above the median, which, which means that half of you probably won't understand what I just said. <laughs> but neither will half the world, so... So we're pretty good, thank you. Thank you. I think the reason people hate math so much is because we call it problems. That's a horrible name. <laughs> and we tell this to little children when they're back from recess, you know? Just, hey kids, that was fun, huh? Who's ready for problems? Like, ah! Problems, that's what my parents have. I don't want, I don't want problems. It's so confusing. Even, even as an adult, like some guy at a bar staring at me, what's your problem, dude? Uh, two trains are going at the same speed, at the same time, uh, trying to figure out when they're getting to the station. That's my problem. What's yours? It's like, that's a weird problem, dude. I'm sorry. I don't want to solve that problem at all. I think math is a, is a beautiful thing. I think it's a gift from God, you know? And if you don't believe in God, that's totally fine. I mean, you're going to hell. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not religious. I'm just saying if you don't believe in God and you don't like math, like, reconsider what you're doing, you know? Because, like, I'm just like, what's the point of being an atheist if you're not even smart? You really need to, uh, you need to help your cause. There is no God. Okay, show me a proof. What's a proof? Get the fuck out of here, you know? <laughs> An atheist who's not good at math is a Scientologist. That's actually a mathematical formula. It's the only science with no numbers in it. Um, all right, let's maybe move on to a different topic. Um, I'm into older women. Um, I find women attractive even into their 80s. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, women to me are like triangles. If she's less than 90, she's a cutie. All right, sorry, I had to do that. I had to do one more math joke. I apologize. I apologize to this guy here. He's very upset. You can't avoid math. Even if we got rid of math, the world would just fall apart. There would be aftermath. You're doing math either way. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. 
So this is what I do now. Um, it's crazy because most of my family is doctors. Everybody, basically everybody except me, my mom, my dad, my sister. Everybody else in the family is doctors. We're like the rebels against medicine. You know, we have alternative healing. You know, we have yoga, and like the doctor family has money. You know. So. <laughs> is what it is. I mean, I kind of became a doctor in a way, you know, because laughter is the best medicine. So <laughs> take that, auntie, you know? But I, I like being healthy. I do, I, you know, I try to eat a, a healthy diet. Uh, I drink goat milk. And, uh, <laughs> and by goat, I mean greatest of all time. It's cow's milk. It's still cow's milk. It's still cow's milk. Nothing beats cow's milk. You know, they don't give you a lot of options with those percentages. You ever look at the choices you get for milk? It's like, you can either have skim milk, you can have 1%, or you can have 2%, or you can just jump to whole milk! Like, what? What happened? I think you skipped some numbers there. Just give me the 50% milk. Meet me halfway. Imagine if they sold TVs like that, you know? Like, I want to buy a TV. What size you got? We got a 100-inch. That's uh, the standard. Uh, you have anything smaller than that? Yeah, we got a 2-inch after that. A little 2-inch. <laughs> and then a one inch, and then just an empty box where you imagine the channel's changing. It's a Skim Channels TV. It's so weird. You ever do the math on those percentages? Right, you ever, anybody who drinks 2% milk, turn that carton around on the back of the 2% milk carton. 2% of the milk fat, five grams of fat in a serving, right? Whole milk, which is the one I drink, 100%, it's the whole eight grams of fat. <laughs> You're telling me that five grams is just 2% of eight grams. We're gonna be okay with this shit, Chicago, for the rest of our lives, just gonna sleep okay at night. There's lies on every milk carton. How are we gonna find kids on the carton? We can't even do numbers right. This is embarrassing. This is a shame. Five over eight is 60%. That's some 60% milk you're drinking. They're writing it off as two. It's a fucking scam. Probably trickling down from the 1%, if you ask me. If I had to make a guess. That's right, I voted for Bernie. Madoff, I voted for Bernie Madoff. I voted for a guy who's already in jail. Anyways, I was doing these calculations one night. A woman approached me after the show because she overheard me through a microphone and she said, <laughs> She said, Sammy, I'm going to ruin your night, but whole milk is actually not whole milk. It's 3% milk. I used to work in the service industry. And I said, oh no, you didn't ruin my night at all. Because we're gonna calculate this shit right now. <laughs> and I, I pulled out my, she was not expecting that. Because off the top of my head, the five, eight, there's no three coming out of that. It didn't make sense to me. So I did the calculation and this is the hardest part of my set. But basically I looked up the average amount of fat in whole milk, average amount of fat at 1%, found the ratio, which would be the percentage of fat in whole milk. Uh, don't worry if you don't get it, it's fine. But um, it's 8.011 divided by 2.55. Anybody good, have good with the uh, numbers? Anybody can do a calculator, super calc? That's fine, I'll do it myself. Dude, check the work, don't believe me. 8.011 divided by 2.55. You know what the answer was? 3.1415, whole milk is pot! And that's why it tastes so good with pie. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. I'm Samuel Bay. Thanks for coming out today. You guys are awesome. Samuel Bade is one of the hosts of the new Netflix series, 100 Humans. Check it out. So surely one of the ugliest, most ambiguous non-COVID stories in the news right now 
is the he said, she said between presidential candidate Joe Biden and his former staffer, Tara Reid. The voice you're about to hear on the topic belongs to a frequent essayist at the Machete. Here's Carly Oishi. False negatives. Why believe the results when we don't know if they're reliable? There is science, and then there's everything else. This is a new era of truth-stretching, bending, interpreting. No one is a liar. Facts and beliefs are equivalent. The two sides are equal. Everything is sarcasm, except when it isn't. The new cycle is laser-focused on a mutating virus for which there is no cure or vaccine, no promise of immunity. And who could blame them? There are no sports. There are no school shootings. The only manslaughter occurring is in the states who have decided to reopen. While that fire burns, the other fires are still going strong, added to every day, but no longer making the headlines. North Korea, Russia, UFOs, and the United States election. Will anyone be able to leave their homes to vote? Will there be a mail-in option? Will it even happen? The country is at the mercy of the family in the White House, and from the looks of it, many people will die as a result of that non-existent leadership. Too many already have. It comes as no surprise to most people, all 65,844,954 of them. The worst case scenario that everyone was so afraid of is here, and there is no one less qualified than Mr. Trump to be leading the charge. For a while, real change seemed like it was on the horizon. All of the feel-good vibes from 2008 seemed possible again. How could the results of 2016 not lead to radical advancement? How could there not be a woman president or a person of color or, hell, even a Jewish white man? It seems the only option has always been Joe Biden. Whether anyone wants to believe it or not, much like Trump's takeover... The majority of voters who don't want a repeat of 2016 just want a surefire choice. Someone who will show up in order to win. And that's what Joe Biden is all about. He entered this race knowing this time his odds were good. His campaign might as well read, I'm the anyone of anyone other than Trump. Those left stuck between a cold wall and small hands close their eyes and think about all of the people that will come along with Biden, an actual administration, those with experience and knowledge and maybe even ethics. The government can be whole again, no matter how corrupt or partisan, under a party with no direction and no spine. But anything is better than the current situation, right? Like the accuracy of COVID-19 testing, the majority of sexual assault accusations are true. Innocent until proven guilty should also apply to the victim. Start from a place of belief and move on from there. Start from a place of openness and compassion and then ask the hard questions. Assume it was difficult for this person to come forward and give them time and space, give them a chance to tell their story and know that it can change, know that it can be fuzzy or off or difficult to parse out. Science tells us memory is unreliable, especially with details. It's called fade to gist. People may not recall specifics, but do remember how it felt. Strip away whatever facts you can or can't dig up on the Tara Reid story and think about how she might have felt. Now extrapolate that into how those feelings manifested and how the future unfolded for her, how they influenced her decisions then and now. 
stop weighing the implication of what it would mean to believe her. You know, the whole, well, what does this say about me and the candidate that I was begrudgingly getting behind? The whole, let's do whatever it takes to get rid of the narcissistic empty suit. The whole, the fate of the country is at stake come November. You can hold both of these things in your hands. You can demand it be investigated. You can consider what it might be like if a little bit of sexual harassment might result in actual consequences. You can also roll over. You can ignore it. You can justify destroying one life to save many. You can tell yourself the persecution and punishment can wait until later when things aren't so fucked up. Time may be up on one clock, but it's starting on another. The handsy bosses still exist, and the handsy presidents do too. Sure, voters are miffed that they're faced with the choice of sexual harasser or sexual assaulter, but how many came before them? All this talk about holding someone to the absolute highest standard of ethics and morals isn't exactly the description of many of our past leaders. So many human beings have suffered under their watch, and every single one of them has been a man who rules in a patriarchal society. Meaningful change means a dramatic shift in how the country is run, and to think anyone will see it in their lifetime is almost laughable. Woke culture, Me Too, Twitter, none of these things have created an election where someone other than an old white man can succeed. Yay for the movements and awareness and microscopic shifts, but no one has time for the snail-paced approach to a more fair and just nation. So yeah, it's 2020, and your choice is the devil or the wolf in sheep's clothing, and the definition of progress still looks nothing close to ideal. Carly Oishi is a writer living in Chicago. So we have two more stories about moms for you from two very different comedians. The first one is one of the hosts of the podcast, The Ajuma Show. Here's the wonderful Peter Kim. Are there any other gay, uh, chubby gay Asians in here? Make some noise, chubby gay Asians. Wow, what a personal attack. Um, <laughs> I, uh, 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 I grew up as a chubby gay Asian, so, uh, you know, obviously, as, as you can imagine, I, I got bullied a lot when I was young. Yeah, but recently I went back home and I uh, confronted my childhood bully. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, thank you, thank you. She was not pleased. Um, <laughs> Her name is Mom, and she's not happy, folks. <laughs> My mom's been bullying me since I was born. Like, she, I'm 36 years old. She called me last week, and she was like, Peter, I saw your YouTube. Peter, please don't tell people that you are chubby. Oh, because you're fat. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, cool. My, my mom's an immigrant mom. Anyone else have immigrant moms? Okay, so you guys know, like, if an immigrant mom's like, because they, you know, like, left the whole thing, you know, behind, and they struggled and all this, like, they're allowed to just say the worst fucking shit, right? And we can't say anything. 
It's like the price of immigration. We're like, yep, you're horrible. And you're right. Like my mom, when I was nine years old, I asked my mom if there are gay people in Korea. And she was like, there are no gay people in Korea. And I was like, it sounds like there are gay people in Korea. And you're hiding them in an attic. Like what the fuck is happening? And I was like, are, are you serious? And she goes, okay, maybe there are a few gay people in Korea, but they're all Japanese. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, homophobia and racism wrapped up into one horribly structured sentence? Are you my mother or my president? I don't understand this. It's nuts. She says some awful ass shit. She also like when we were growing up, she, uh, she, she was in this like crazy evangelical church. <laughs> and when I came out to her, she couldn't say the words gay. Like she, as if if she said it, um, like I would be still sucking dick. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just like, I don't know what she was like. She was like, if I can't, if I don't say it, then it won't exist. So uh, she went around and, uh, and was uh, referring to me as a sodomizer. Because she learned English in a book called the King James Bible. So <laughs> she'd be like, and she was trying, she's like, Peter, you are a sodomizer? You are telling me that you are a sodomizer? You sodomize? You are a sodomizer? My son is a sodomizer? And I was like, Mom, stop calling me a sodomizer. I'm the sodomizer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't be lying in church, mother. Yeah. I had to come out twice to my mom, one as a gay man and another as a hungry bottom. You know, so I don't know which one was worse for her. <laughs> Jury's still out. <laughs> Anyway, so like after I came out, my mom was like, you know, like in her delusional spin for a long time. And then about like a year after I came out, she called me and she, she was like, Pino, do you have a boyfriend? And I was so like, oh my God, she's finally asking about my life. She never did before. And I was like, no, not yet, but I, I you know, I, I, I'm gonna try. I, I'm, I'm very scared to date. And she was like, Peter, maybe you go back to dating woman. <laughs> and I was like, huh? And she goes, Peter, you know, you struggle so much, you know, and you're so sad. And you're crying. Always crying, you know? And then you're finally coming out, but nobody looking for you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, touche, bitch. Um, maybe I should give vagina a try again. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Good night, everyone. That was Peter Cam, and you can check him out every week on The Ajima Show. And finally, if you're a fan of Chicago stand-up comedy, there's one kind of famous mom that you might know about because of things that happened to her comedian daughter throughout her childhood, which 
pretty obviously left her very few options besides comedy. I think when you hear this set from last year's Mother's Day Machete, you'll understand what I mean. Here's Carly Ballerini. specifically about growing up with my mom. My mom's a bipolar clown. Um, that is not an insult. Uh, those are just two things she is, okay? She, uh, she's like a, a bipolar lady and that's fine. That happens all the time. That's like not a big deal. But she met my dad in like a mental institution, okay? <laughs> and then went to clown college. <laughs> That's like how super villains are made. <laughs> it's not. tell us when she was going to clown college. We like didn't find out where she was going for a long time until one day. So the way, okay. So the way that I found out that my mom was like, was going to clown was one day I came home from school and there was just a clown in my kitchen. <laughs> but it was like, but it wasn't even, it was the back of her because she was doing the dishes in full clown gear. So it was like the back of her. And turned around. And was like, I graduated. <laughs> Moms are super powerful. <laughs> And at that moment, I decided not to graduate anything, <laughs> ever. <laughs> when I was 10, my mom recruited me as her clown assistant, Huckleberry. My uniform was a pair of dusty overalls and messy hair. And a lot of times, <laughs> people ask like, Okay, so a lot of times people will be like, oh my God, that's so interesting. <laughs> Did you learn anything? Did you learn any clowning? And I'm always like, no. <laughs> she was a very bad clown. <laughs> she wasn't like a good clown. She kept an open cup of wine in the car. <laughs> And she would cry at every party. <laughs> um, as Huckleberry, it was my job to wrangle the rich children who were always around my age. So I'd go up to them and say something like, um, excuse me, peer, um, 
would you like to go get some popped balloon animals from that drunk clown? No? I understand. And then I would hide behind a tree. <laughs> and this is where I learned about social anxiety. Um, some people have nurturing moms who teach them how to like do their homework or bake cookies or something, I, I'm assuming. Um, my mom taught me how to read tarot cards for people who look rich and vulnerable. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, I actually know a lot of uh, soon-to-be moms right now or like um, already moms right now who are like my age and they keep coming up to me and saying stuff like, um, like, Carly, I'm a witch now. Did you know I'm a witch? Like I have crystals, so I'm a witch now. And I, you guys all seem like a very like cool and like trendy crowd, so like I don't wanna, if any of you are witches, I am not trying to, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not trying to offend you. But whenever they come up to me and tell me that, I'm always just like, no you're not. <laughs> My mom was a witch. Again, that is not an insult. That is just like another thing that she was. That's like the third thing. Like if she had like business cards, she'd be like, hello, I'm a clown witch. I'm a witch clown. I do balloon animals and can talk to your dead son. Like I'm a clown witch. That is, that is what she would, so my mom was a witch. So one time she handed me a muffin and said, Carly, I want you to take this muffin to Tom's house, oh, and make sure you watch him eat it. <laughs> and I was like, but why? <laughs> and then she said casually, oh, cause it's just got my menses in it and he needs to eat it to complete the spell. So when you guys are like, I'm a witch? Because <laughs> I have a crystal in my pocket. I'm like, oh? Have you ever sent your firstborn to your crush's house with a period muffin? <laughs> no? Then I don't believe you. <laughs> So listen, um, gonna wrap it up. Moms, moms are people, okay? And people are silly and varied and trying. So tomorrow, when you see your mother, thank her for trying her best and never making you watch some dude named Tom eat her period. <laughs> so here's, to moms on their special day. Thank you so much. <laughs>
that was the one and only Carly Ballerini. And this was the Paper Machete Audio Magazine, May 9th, 2020, produced by Leah Munzee and myself, Christopher Pyatt, and edited by our audio engineer, Jacob Serio. If you'd like to help keep the machete going during the shutdown by donating, please visit thepapermachete.org support. But, you know, even just sending the link to a friend would still be like a Gandhi-level gesture. A special thanks this week to all the mothers in our universe, especially Nancy, Suzanne, Lori, Devin, and the Green Mills manager, Laura Castro, who puts up with all our bullshit. We'll see you all next week and leave you with one last number from Foil and to our late great den mother. Good night, Mrs. Steinberg, wherever you are. Oh, I'm playing the fiddle. Like, what was me? Know that I'm meant to be more than I am. I've known since a boy what it takes and it means to be mad. So why do you pause when seeing the steps? Past my father, so full of regret. Time pin and pressure and pain on your head. Why is it hard to explain what you said? Nice in the crowd when Evander was four and the lights were just so on my side overhead. Erasing the demons like keeping my head. Tap them a second time, leaving them dead. Permanent markers retracing your steps. The shadows of dark herbs are from my bed. The hills that I got is and they heard what you said. Oh, I'm stuck in the middle. Believing in doubting and dying, but yet I am. I'm looking for answers to jump like I took an exam. I wait for the day the hate will rot. Don't think it'll happen, so smoke on some pot. Why you spend that time rapping the featherweight weight thoughts? I'm taking chances and you like it soft. Openly judge me, exposure has cost. But I'm cold like the wind and my window got frost. Ice all around me, he dwell in our heart. Sophomore year had my eyes on some gods. Dream to make beats and they eating in the lofts. I think I make music to silence your thoughts. Check your flow and your soul if your timing is off. Oh, I'm solving the riddles. Alert all my fan before aiming my missiles. I work the magic, he bad with a pencil. I'm going dumb and I'm moving sporadic. I shadow box with the ghost in the attic. Why you act shocked if you sure you want static? Dogs wanna buy. And I'm showing you a step and don't ask me for shit, see the money I'm stacking. I keep an eye on the evil attracted. If you try moving on me, get subtracted. I never like math. Tell me what made you think you get a pass. Doctor said, don't put liquor in your glass. Put me in charge of the core of the class. I got African colored American flags. Wait, African colored American flags. Cause oh, I'm stuck in the middle. Believing in doubt has died, but now here I am. Watch out for the dropout when he pop out. Don't watch out for the clock till the nigga clock out. Yeah, say it to my face, then show me what you got now. I look at the sky away. Lights on the highway. Oh, I'm playing the fiddle. Believing in darkness, dire, but yeah, here I am. Why do you pause when singing the steps? Why do you pause when singing the steps? There you go.